The views and opinions expressed during this program do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of WHIO and Cox Media Group. This hour is sponsored by There is a Season. This is WHIO's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Dayton is our number one priority. You know that. And as news breaks, we'll break in anytime. Dayton's all news and talk is 1290-957-WHIO. There is a season. Welcome to There is a Season, the show about how we change, how we age, and how we care for one another. I'm Bob Wolf, And I'm Gloria Shanahan. Thank you very much for joining us. We're always glad when you can spend a few minutes here, and we encourage you to tell your family and friends about our show. Periodically on the program, within our health and wellness grouping of shows, we've talked about things like teen depression and anxiety. Dr. Steve Liptak has joined us in the past to discuss these aspects within the spectrum of mental illness or distress, and particularly among our young people. But as important and insightful as those shows were and are, and even before the rise in anxiety and depression many others have felt this year, because of COVID-19, social unrest, a disruption in the economy, perhaps for you in your unemployment, Mental illness or mental health conditions exist for millions of Americans all the time. Yes, they do. And, and I noticed when you were um, just mentioning this now, you, t- you used both terms, mental mm-hmm. illness and mental health conditions. And while some professionals and organizations may use those terms separately to draw distinctions between different diagnoses, we're going to be following the model of the National Alliance of Mental Illness, or NAMI, in using those terms interchangeably. A mental illness is a condition that affects a person's thinking, feeling, behavior, or mood. These conditions deeply impact day-to-day living and may also affect the ability to relate to others. If you have or think you might have a mental illness, the first thing you must know is that you are not alone. Mental health conditions are far more common than you think mainly because people don't like to or are scared to talk about them. That's true. We'll talk more about um, uh, stigma and things like that a little bit later on in the program. But to show you how prevalent uh, mental illness or mental health conditions are, when you track the statistics, as the people at uh, the National Alliance of Mental Illness do, you learn that one in five U.S. adults experience mental illness each year. And then one in 25 adults experience serious mental illness each year, along with one in six U.S. youth aged 6 to 17 experiencing a mental health disorder each year. Now, this next statistic is the one that I think um, really will open up a lot of people's eyes. 50%, as much as half of all lifetime mental illness, begins by age 14. And 75%, three quarters by age 24. And so what what people will find out is that perhaps something that they've thought might have been a problem, uh, they tend to overlook or they tend to minimize a lot of times because people are young. And that's, you know, really of concern because um, suicide happens to be the second leading cause of death among people in the age group, Bob, of 10 to 34 years old. So not recognizing and not dealing with it or treating it or seeking help is really serious. 
And we've had a rise in, in teen suicide. And again, we're not focused today just on teens. Uh, but we've seen that over the last several years. We've talked about it on this program. So this is a show where it would be important for you to really kind of dial in to the, uh, the possibility that you may have something going on within your own family. Um, you may have been experiencing this for years, and maybe you're up, up to date on this and you're well aware. But we're going to do everything we can to try to um, at least take away part of that stigma and offer people the opportunity to learn more about this and seek treatment. So a mental health condition isn't the result of just one event. Research suggests multiple linking causes, um, genetics, environment, and lifestyle all influence whether someone develops a mental health condition. A stressful job or home life makes some people more susceptible, as do traumatic life events. Biochemical processes and circuits and basic brain structure may play a role also. And none of this means that you're broken or that you or your family did something wrong or, again, that it's because of this one event. Mental illness is no one's fault. Uh, and for many people, recovery, including meaningful roles in social life, school, and work, is possible, especially when you start treatment early and play a strong role in your own recovery process. If this is new to you, you know, hearing this kind of talk, uh, well, we ask you to um, celebrate it and do something about it in your own life, but understand that this is not something, again, that should, you should feel stigmatized by, but something that you can actually uh, look at as something that could be overcome. Now, that when we talk about mental illness or mental health conditions, there really are quite a few of them. We'll give you a brief overview of the ones that are listed by the people at the National Alliance of Mental Illness. We can't get into all of these in depth. Some of these you've heard about on this program before. What's one of them? Anxiety disorders, Bob. Everyone can experience anxiety, but when symptoms are overwhelming and often very constant, impacting everyday living, it could very well be an anxiety disorder. And that's a lot of what we talked to Dr. Liptak about. And, uh, you know, a lot of people suffer from anxiety disorders mm -hmm. of, of some kind. And again, think about some of the stuff we've talked about when we talked about Alzheimer's. There's a question of frequency and degree with all of these things. Right. So in, in, as she pointed out there, we're talking about overwhelming, constant anxiety about any number of different things. Right. Another one is um, what's commonly referred to as ADHD, Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. Now, that's a developmental disorder defined by inattention, such as trouble staying on tasks, listening. Um, it's also characterized by disorganization, losing materials, and often hyperactivity and impulsivity, which would be fidgeting or difficult staying seated or waiting. Traditionally, we've talked a lot about um, children having ADHD of one or, or the other uh, type. An awful lot of adults uh, feel anymore uh, that they're suffering from some form of ADHD, diagnosed or otherwise, and there's probably some truth to that. Certainly our digital media and the pace of our life has not helped in terms of distraction and, you know, um, all kinds of imp you know, impulses hitting people. Right, right. right. Another one um, is bipolar disorder. It causes dramatic shifts in a person's mood, energy, and ability to think clearly. Individuals with this disorder experience extreme high and low moods known as mania and depression. Now, some people can be symptom-free for many, many years between episodes. One of the other uh, 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 mental illnesses or mental health conditions described by uh, NAMI 
as borderline personality disorder, BPD, is characterized by a pattern of instability in emotions, commonly referred to as dysregulation. Interpersonal relationships and self-image can also have a, a great deal of instability. Individuals with BPD can also struggle with impulsivity and with self-harm. So another one that we commonly hear of or talk about, it seems in society, would be depression. Now that involves recurrent severe periods of clear-cut changes in mood, thought processes, and motivation that last for a minimum of two weeks ongoing. Changes in thought processes typically include negative thoughts and hopelessness. Depression also involves and affects your sleep, your energy, your appetite, and often your weight. And we've talked before here and again with Dr. Liptak when we talked about clinical depression. You may have known people like this who have spent a long time, perhaps most of their lives, uh, dealing with depression of some kind. Um, And it is an incapacitating uh, kind of a health condition because it affects just about everything in their lives. Yeah, I think it's often, it's so often, um, I don't know, under-recognized as being a true clinical manifestation of something wrong. You know, like people will often say, you know, you'll feel better next week or snap out of it or go do this and you'll feel better. So we're not talking about just intermittent depression, like a low day. We're talking about a minimum of two weeks. Right. Where... And think about how within our culture, we talk about the blues, right? Yeah, you know, and, right. And this, there's this whole gray area in between people feeling blue once in a while or people being down about certain kinds of things and people who are dealing with ongoing regular depression through their lives. Right. Dissociative disorders are uh, another uh, health condition that people deal with. This is frequently associated with trauma. So this would be a more specifically associated uh, mental illness, Uh, but it disrupts every area of psychological functioning, consciousness, memory, identity, emotion, motor control, and behavior. These kinds of disorders are quite serious. Another one that is often overlooked um, in today's society with, I believe, mainly women and young girls would be eating disorders. That is a condition um, that's characterized by the intentional changing of food consumption to the point where physical health or even social behaviors are affected. And that can be either anorexia or bulimia, one not taking in enough calories and the other one is over consuming and then expelling those calories. So all of these are listed again under the National Alliance of Mental Illness as a various, you know, one of the mental health conditions and perhaps you've seen one in your family or, you know, within yourself. And again, as you know, we talked just briefly here about depression, but there are other things that people kind of toss around, whether it's ADHD or this next one here, obsessive compulsive disorder, OCD. Uh, We all might have portions of these, or some of us might have a little bit of this, a little bit of that. We're talking here about degree and frequency. People with uh, full-time OCD, obsessive compulsive uh, disorder, have persistent intrusive thoughts, obsessions in effect, and repetitive behaviors. Hand washing is one a lot of people talk about. And the person feels driven to perform these over and over again because of these repeating thoughts. Another one, post-traumatic stress disorder, commonly known as PTSD, involves a set of physiological and psychological responses 
Now, it can occur in people who have experienced or witnessed a traumatic event, such as a national disaster, maybe a serious accident, a terrorist act, rape, war, combat, or something similar. Psychosis, uh, another mental health condition, is characterized as disruptions to a person's thoughts and perceptions that make it difficult for him or her to recognize what is real and what is not. And the last condition um, that we're discussing today is schizoaffective disorder. Now, this involves symptoms of schizophrenia, such as hallucinations or delusions, and symptoms of a mood disorder, such as depressive or manic episodes. And that is a little bit different from um, uh, in the diagnosis from schizophrenia, which uh, interferes with a person's ability to think clearly, to manage emotions, make decisions, and relate to others. It also causes people to lose touch with reality, often in the form of hallucinations and delusions. So, you know, we've covered a, a broad range of things mm -hmm. here that are uh, tracked by the National Alliance of Mental Illness and others. And perhaps somebody you know, or, or you yourself, has some aspect of this. And, and the purpose of sharing these is not so that everybody suddenly thinks they've got some mental illness, but to truly recognize when things may be developing in one or more of these areas. Right. I mean, it's it's so important to not uh, brush these things under the rug. You know, if you feel like somebody might be suffering from this, to talk about it openly. Yes, it is. And we've got lots more ahead on this, including understanding when mental illness typically becomes manifest and what are some of the warning signs that you might see or experience? And how awareness of those warning signs is often the first step to getting treatment for someone you love. Stay with us. You are listening to There is a Season on AM 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. It's our Ask the Expert weekend on the Miami Valley radio station with breaking news, weather, and traffic. 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. It's an Ask the Expert weekend on Dayton and Springfield's 24-hour news, weather, and traffic station. 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. Welcome back to There is a Season. I'm Bob Wolf, And I'm Gloria Shanahan. We're talking today about mental illness, or if you prefer the term mental health conditions. We've just reviewed um, a whole uh, raft of these that are tracked by the people at the National Alliance for Mental Health. Uh, and um, we've got a lot more to share with you today on the phone, uh, on the phone, on the program. I wish we were doing on the phone again. Uh, once in a while, we could talk to, talk to people. We were doing these as podcasts, so that's not as possible anymore. If you do have thoughts today, Bob and Gloria, there is a seasonshow.com is the place to reach us. Happy to have your input on this, and we will be sharing some information for you if you are concerned about a mental illness uh, or condition in yourself or someone else. Now, let's talk a little bit here, Gloria, about warning signs. What are some of the keys that people may be struggling uh, with this? Well, diagnosing mental illness isn't a straightforward science, Bob. We can't test for it the same way we can test for blood sugar levels for diabetes, say. So each condition has its own set of unique symptoms. Those symptoms do often overlap. So today we're going to discuss some common signs and our symptoms that can include many different, you know, types of, uh, you know, signs. And, and one of those is feeling very sad or withdrawn but for more than two weeks. We're talking about a long period of time here, not something occasional, 
but for some extended time. Right. Another uh, warning sign would be trying to harm or end one's life or even just making plans to do so. Um, severe, out-of-control, risk-taking behavior that causes harm to yourself or others. And another one would be sudden, overwhelming fear for no reason, sometimes with a racing heart, physical discomfort, or some difficulty with your breathing. Another uh, warning sign, and, and again, think about these in terms of degree or yes. frequency or combination, but significant weight loss or gain. Now, you may have some physiological issue going on, which could also be right. uh, causing some of these things on here. Right. And obviously, you'd be concerned, a reason to see a physician. But these can also be tied to these mental health conditions. Another area would be seeing, hearing, or believing things that aren't real. And this could be, you know, that could range from hallucinations to um, you know, picking up on, on some hearsay that is causing some degree of panic or, or you know, severe emotional distress. Right. Um, a warning sign that is often easy to see would be excessive use of maybe alcohol or drugs. Um, and this could um, often then cause drastic changes in mood, behavior, personality, or sleeping habits. Um, earlier, we discussed ADHD. So what if you see extreme difficulty in concentration or staying still? This is another symptom. And intense worries or fears that get in the way of your daily activities. Now, we encourage you to, to really think openly about these things and, and not really worry too much about whether, you know, it, it's it's a family thing, a genetic thing, and, and so forth. The reality is, according to the professionals out there, 50% of all lifetime mental illness begins by age 14. Think about that. Think about your young uh, child or your grandchild who may be exhibiting certain behaviors that cause you concern. I mean, we're all, uh, you know, pretty astute about watching kids grow and, and, uh, having a sense that something that might not be right. So under the age of 14 is when a lot of these things first start to manifest themselves. And 75% of these things are diagnosed or understood by the age of 24. So you still have an awful lot uh, that you can learn before people are well on to their lives. We're going to talk more about this after the news, including overcoming one of the biggest obstacles to getting treatment for mental health issues. And that is stigma. And if we have time, we'll also talk about Myths about pediatric depression. All of that is ahead on this program. Thanks for being with us. You are listening to There is a Season on AM 1290 and 95.7. WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. WHIO. This is WHIO's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, this is Rush Limbaugh. This is my home in the Miami Valley. Dayton is our number one priority. You know that. And as news breaks, we'll break in anytime. 1290, 95.7. WHIO. Welcome back to Easy and Snappers. This is There is a Season, the show about how we change, how we age, and how we care for one another. I'm Bob Wolf. And I'm Gloria Shanahan. Now be sure to contact us with your thoughts about this or any other There is a Season episode by dropping us an email at bobandgloria at thereisaseasonshow.com. I had to blow the dust off the geezers and whippersnappers thing. We haven't said that in a long time. No, we yeah. haven't. 
But that was, you know, actually we played around with that as one of the possible real names of this program. Because for all the new listeners out there, we must let them, you know, in on the whole non-secret kind of thing that you're the geezer and I'm the whippersnapper. Yeah. Not really. That's completely no, a mistruth. That's, actually, uh, it's not at all. I think that's called fake news. That's well, fake old news. All you have to do is pull out your ID and I'll pull out mine and we'll, yeah. let, we'll let the listeners decide. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So today we're talking about uh, mental illness, mental health conditions. And in the uh, opening part of our program, we talked about some of the statistics, as many as one in five people uh, have some kind of a mental health condition. Uh, we've talked about a broad range of mental uh, illnesses, uh, and you can find out a lot of these uh, things by visiting the NAMI site, N-A-M-I.org. We'll also have an 800 number we'll share with you here a little bit later on uh, in the program. And we talked also about warning signs, how certain behaviors in combination or in, in terms of an increase in frequency or severity may point to one or more mental illnesses, things that you can start to observe. Yes, and earlier in the program, we also touched on the topic of treatment for mental health conditions. And while many of us, at least before the COVID era, have traditionally not hesitated to get treatment for any number of ailments or pains or conditions, when it comes to mental health, medical professionals often find that there is one obstacle more than any other that keeps people from getting mental health treatment. And that obstacle, unfortunately, is stigma. Now, stigma is when someone views you in a negative way because you have a distinguishing characteristic or personal trait that's thought to be or actually is a disadvantage, a negative stereotype. Unfortunately, negative attitudes and beliefs toward people who have mental health conditions are common. And, and, and you know, stigma, stigma can lead to discrimination as well. Discrimination may be obvious and direct, such as someone making a negative remark about your mental illness or your treatment, or it can be unintentional or subtle, such as someone avoiding you because that person just assumes that you could be unstable, violent, or dangerous due to your mental illness. You may even judge yourself, right? Now, you know, and we'll, we'll so share hard. here some of, some of the uh, harmful effects of stigma. But one thing to keep in mind, and, and I learned this a long time ago, I was uh, talking with some people, and they talked about how we've done so much with uh, ADA, right, with the American with Disabilities Act. Uh, and, and you look at somebody in a wheelchair, or you look at somebody who's walking along, perhaps they've got, uh, you know, something in their gait that, that is a result of an illness, and people have a, a, a heightened awareness and even a sympathy for some of these things. And acceptance, really. It, you know, you don't turn your head really all that much anymore. It's very common right. in the physical realm of disabilities but or conditions. in the area of mental health conditions, and, and you can see why in, in certain severity there would be some concern about someone's behavior in a certain context, but there's an awful lot that people share and people try to pretend doesn't exist. You know, I don't have that problem. I might have... This problem, which puts me, uh, you know, disables me in this way. But, you know, mental illness, we don't want to talk about that. Yeah, for some reason, you know, the brain, which is another, you know, huge part of our existence and our, our physical being, for some reason, there's some stigma that is continually attached to anything that involves mental health conditions, unfortunately. Now, some of the harmful effects of stigma can include... A reluctance to seek help or treatment. That's probably number one, right? People right. feel there's some stigma and they, they don't want to admit that. They're embarrassed by that. So they don't do anything. And unfortunately, another um, 
harmful effect is that a lack of understanding by sometimes even your family, your good friends, coworkers, or anyone else that you encounter. And you often have you know fewer opportunities for work, school, social activities, and sometimes even have, you know, a person can have trouble finding housing, unfortunately. Right, despite all of the protections people would have yeah. under equal opportunity, it, it would be something where it, people could say, oh, no, I, I sense there's something wrong with this it's person. It's hidden, but yeah, because they just sense it, right. Uh, obviously, one of the harmful effects of stigma can include bullying, physical violence, or harassment. We've seen an awful lot of bullying and physical violence uh, this year, in particular, as these you know, protests and so forth have spilled into something else uh, much nastier. But you can see how an awful lot of that would affect people with some kind of a mental health condition that is not understood, but it offers uh, the bully uh, vulnerability that they can exploit. Right. Um, another harmful effect would be that health insurance often or sometimes doesn't adequately cover mental health um, treatment. And, you know, what we have seen um, in the last several decades, the centers for mental health conditions shutting down or closing down. And that's, you know, there's nowhere to go oftentimes. Another one would be the belief that you'll never succeed at certain challenges or that you can't improve your situation. So you can see how these things would snowball, these, these various uh, stigmas or stigma uh, looked mm-hmm. at collectively, uh, and keep people from the important action that they need to take. Uh, as we said before, mental illness or mental health conditions are simply one more. I mean, people have heart conditions, right? right? Uh, it's estimated one of the statistics uh, we came across, we didn't share it earlier, was that some 450 million people around the world are struggling with some form of, uh, of a mental health condition, which puts it far out ahead of things like diabetes, high blood pressure, heart disease, and other kinds of things. Almost a half a billion people. And that's a serious thing when you've got an awful large percentage of various populations. And again, in this country, they could say it's up to 20% who are dealing with some aspect of of a mental health thing that needs some help, but they're not getting it because they're afraid to. Right. And right now is a, a key time in our history to start noticing potentially because we are going through this whole COVID thing. And sometimes little things like this do start to emerge, you know, as hard to deal with for some people. So be on the lookout. Yes. Now, what are some steps, uh, Gloria, for dealing with um, stigma? Well, very importantly is to get treatment. You know, you may be reluctant to admit your need for treatment, but don't let that fear of being labeled with a mental illness prevent you from seeking some help. Treatment can provide relief by identifying what's wrong and reducing symptoms that interfere with your life. Don't let stigma create self-doubt and shame. Stigma doesn't just come from others. You may mistakenly believe that your condition is a sign of personal weakness or that you should be able to control it without help. Well, seeking counseling, educating yourself about your condition, and connecting with others who have mental illness can help you gain self-esteem and overcome destructive self-judgment. Another thing to make sure you don't do is don't isolate yourself. If you do have a mental illness, you may be reluctant to tell anyone about it. Your family, friends, coworkers, clergy, or memory members of your community can definitely offer you support if they know about your mental illness. Reach out to those people that you trust for the compassion, support, and understanding that you need. 
Now, here's an important thing. If somebody were to break an arm or leg, right, they don't say, I'm a broken arm or a broken leg, right? Right. They say, I have a broken arm or I have a broken leg. Well, there's a, there's a danger in equating yourself with your illness. You are not the illness. So instead of saying, I'm bipolar, you can say, I have a bipolar disorder, like I have a broken arm. Instead of calling yourself schizophrenic, which again has a totality to it, you can say, I have schizophrenia. Right, right. Very important. Good, good point. Join a support group. Some local and national groups, such as the National Alliance on Mental Illness, which we're referring to today, NAMI, offer local programs and internet resources that help reduce stigma by educating people who have mental illness, their families, and the general public. Um, you know, some state and federal agencies and programs also focus on uh, vocational rehabilitation, and the Department of Veterans Affairs also offers support for people with mental illness. It's important here, and, and again, within the context of COVID, whether your kid is going back to school or not, uh, you can get help a lot of times through the school system. If you or your child has a mental health condition that affects learning, find out what plans and programs might be available. Discrimination against students because of a mental illness is against the law, and educators at primary, secondary, and college levels are required to accommodate students as best they can. So it's important to talk to your teachers, your professors, or administrators about the best approach and resources that may be available even again within the COVID uh, context. So it, things may be different. They may look a little different if you have to do things through Zoom meetings or whatever, but these things uh, are something that you can press for. If a teacher doesn't know about a student's disability, it can lead to discrimination, barriers to learning, and poor grades. And it, yeah, it just really affects the whole learning process. Right. Um, and this one is really, really important you know, be confident and speak out against stigma. Consider expressing your opinions at events, maybe at the workplace, at school. Um, help instill courage in others facing similar, similar challenges and uh, educate the public about mental illness. Now, we've touched here briefly on um, the, uh, the whole topic of kids in school and so forth. And we have a little bit of time here to to extend this into another area, and that is to understand um, that there are some myths about uh, depression and anxiety, one area of mental uh, health, uh, as they pertain to younger people, uh, some things that people don't really understand. We've talked again here about how a great percentage of mental health conditions are identifiable under the age of 14. But look, let's look at a little bit about how these things are different. Some of the myths about pediatric depression. Yeah, and that's 3% of children, Bob, um, age 3 to 17, who experience what's termed as pediatric depression. So one of the myths is um, that it's sadness that looks the same in children as it does in adults. Now, children don't have the verbal language or cognitive savvy to express you know, the, the textures of sadness. Instead, body symptoms like aches and pains, fatigue, and slowness often present along with tearfulness and unrealistic feelings of guilt, isolation, and irritability. Also, that uh, chronic sadness will go away on its own. Uh, you know, chronic sadness for a child uh, can, can mean that the child has pediatric depression, which cannot be just willed away. It can't be made to go away just by, you know, having a stuffed animal or a new toy. So ignoring the problem doesn't help. 
Depression is a serious but treatable illness that requires professional help. And that's just a couple of the things that are myths about pediatric depression. We've got more to share with you here at the other side of this break. So please stay with us. You are listening to There is a Season on AM 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. It's an Ask the Expert weekend on Dayton and Springfield's 24-hour news, weather, and traffic station, 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. It's our Ask the Expert weekend on the Miami Valley radio station with breaking news, weather, and traffic, 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. Welcome back to There is a Season. I'm Bob. And I'm Gloria. We've been talking about mental illness or mental health conditions. And uh, specifically here, we just before the break, we were talking about some of the myths that exist with pediatric depression, one area within this larger topic. And what was one of the other myths? Well, we were talking about sadness with children, right? And one of the other myths about sadness in children is that you may believe that talking about sadness with children will make things worse. And this is not true. Talking about the sadness with your child can actually help reduce symptoms by validating their feelings and their experience. It also helps to teach them about their feelings and how to name them. So you want to support and encourage children to know that they're not alone and that they are loved and cared for, even when they're sad. One of the other myths is that good parents can always detect if their child is depressed. Mm. Well, according to the pros, not true. Most children who have depression keep their thoughts and feelings masked. They often hide what they're feeling because they don't want to show sadness. It makes them feel uncomfortable, so they push it away. Some children put a smile on things, even though they may be struggling in the inside. Not all kids, obviously, but, but a lot of them can. And then there are little ones that may not even understand the depths of their own sadness, so they really can't express it to their caregivers. So the only way really for parents to understand chronic sadness and depression is to be aware of age-specific behaviors and the symptoms. For instance, younger children tend to have aches and pains, and they cry, and they whine when they're sad. But older children often will get irritable, withdrawn, and avoidant when they feel sadness. School-aged children often experience difficulties concentrating, they feel insecure, they argue, or express that they don't like to do things anymore. So knowing the symptoms to look for will help you to determine if your child is struggling with depression. Another myth is that the risk of suicide for children is exaggerated. Well, suicide is the second leading cause of death in youths aged 10 to 24. Suicide is significantly linked to depression, so early diagnosis and treatment is a vital aspect of prevention. Children and um well, th this is the other myth. There are no proven treatments for pediatric depression. That's a myth. Studies show that talk therapy treatments like play therapy, family therapy, and individual therapy offer significant improvements for children who experience depression. Children and families who are involved with psychotherapy learn how to identify the sad feelings and express them in healthy ways. And they'll learn interventions on how to cope later. And a last myth is that depressed children cannot lead productive lives, and that is certainly not the case. Kids with depression can grow up to live full, productive lives, especially if they receive treatment and the support that they need. So that's a lot. We, we always try to cram a lot into every program here, and we hope that you, you've been able to uh, get some benefit out of this. If you'd like more on this show, uh, you can reach us at Bob and Gloria at thereisaseasonshow.com, and uh, we'd be happy to share with you 
any of these uh, resources that we've, we've been checking. The uh, organization, again, that we've been citing today is the National... What is it again? NAMI. It's the National Alliance for Mental Illness. Thank you very much. I, I knew she would have N-A-M-I. And so you can check that out. Uh, it's at nami.org on the website. That'll do it for us today. Remember, dear friends, seek grace in every step and never regret growing older. It is a privilege denied to many. We're here for each other and we're here for you. For my dear friend and co-host, Gloria Shanahan, our terrific producers and everyone who makes the show possible, thanks again for your time, attention, and interest to what we do here. We'll see you again soon. You've been listening to There's a Season on AM 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. Have a blessed week.